folks, and welcome to Hey Adora, your queer she-er podcast. I'm Force Captain Meth, they them. And I am Princess Jenny, she, her. And today we are talking about gay in the North. Ah, <laughs> yes. We are talking about some cold-ass queers. <laughs> I'm really excited about this episode. Oh, so, uh, Gays that don't like to camp. Like me. Um, I'm learning, though. I love Gays camping. in need of a space heater. Yep. All true. This is season two, episode five, Whiteout. Whiteout was written by Laura Shrebney, storyboard by Steve Cooper, Charlemagne Coe, and Mandy Clotworthy. Storyboard by Leanne Hughes. Uh, let's get into this ice cold episode. I love this episode and it is the gayest gay that ever gave. It's another wonderful episode wonderfully gay, wonderfully comic, wonderfully rich in character development and authenticity. Just really strong episode right on the heels of the last. This has got some delicious catrador, which obviously we love here. Yes, but it also has delicious scorpok. Ex- scorpok. I, scorpok palship. Yes, which we also just love to see. We, 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 fr- we friendship the hell out of them. Oh. Yes, I I friendship the hell out of them. I love any episode that features them having screen time together. And just like a lot of just general shenanery, we've got some great horror tropes at play. Yeah. We've got a lot of great goofiness, things going awry, you know, <laughs> things uh, going super awry. pal trio being ridiculous. What could possibly go wrong? Indeed. Spoiler alert, everything. Indeed. Shall we jump into it? Let's do the thing. All right. So here we are in the Northern Reach, a.k.a. Ethereum Antarctica. Oh, see, I thought it was Arctica because it's the Northern Reach. Oh, is Antarctica the South? Yes. And I know why they're called Arctic and Antarctic. Tell us. Okay. So Arctic means with bears. Oh. And Antarctic means without bears. What? I know, because I've done a lot of bear research. Oh, that makes sense. I yeah. can easily believe that. Yeah, so uh, because it is northern, it is Arctic. I appreciate knowing this. But If, if we're yes. going to translate it directly from Earth to Etheria, we will call it the Etherian Arctic. We will call it the Etherian Arctic. But it's still in bicolors, and we dig it. We dig it. Like the snow. I don't know if it's the snow or the light that is the bicolors. Yeah. But it's it's still still blue, purple, and pink. Yeah, and it's like always dark. Yeah, there's no white snow in Etheria. No, no. We love it. And the sky is always always bisexual in the the most northern part of Etheria. In every part of Etheria. So we start out with a big overhead shot of this horde base in a blizzard. And mm-hmm. we see there is evidence of drilling. There's a big hole over on one side that is geometrically perfect with a plank bridge across it. So we see there has been drilling there. The blizzard is vigorously blizzarding. And then inside we see Entrapta working hard in a lab, looking very happy about it, doing her thing. Catra mm-hmm. looks cold and miserable and wants to know why this is taking so long because she was promised a weapon. Yep. And Entrapta yep. clarifies that she never said weapon, she said tech. And she's very excited about it. She is chair spinning level excited. And I think at this point, we could um, say that Entrapta spinning around in her chair is something that she does uh, as stimming. Oh. 
when I can see that. when she is yeah. so excited that she just cannot handle it. That's what yeah, she does. I, I like that. I like that. And it really is helpful to her. I love that. Here's some things that I noticed in this in this very short scene that you described. Mm-hmm. One, Katra is covered in fur and yet is freezing <laughs> in the northern reach. Well, because uh, house cats do not like to be cold. Well, unless you have like big fluffy house cats, like if you have like Norwegians or Maine Coons, they're made for like Yeah, that's true. They're like made for the cold. That's true. Katra is um, not one of those. No, she's not. By the way, if you want to see the cutest thing ever, Google Norwegian forest cats in the snow. <laughs> it's so cute. Anyway, also, um, everybody's snow gear is incredible in this episode, and yes. I love it. And yes. I love how the Horde all have, like, a uniform snow gear, and, but yet Katra still insists on having her low-slung, asymmetric punk belt. Yep. Like, and there are so many, like, unnecessary well, or necessary i'm gonna go with gratuitous perhaps shots of catra's like curve and the the like asymmetric punk bit it's like fan service it is fan service it's like an anime style fan service it is and actually there's a part of me that wonders if that's the kind of small thing that we should note as sort of micro racist aggression because, again, Catra is coded as a POC character. Why doesn't right. she get to be warm like everyone else? Why does her body always have to be coded as sexy and primal at the expense of her being warm and properly geared like everyone else? Sure. Um, or, you know, maybe that's something they weren't thinking about, but maybe subconsciously they weren't thinking about it because it's coded in people's minds that this, you know... Hot, spicy Latina doesn't need to be warm. She just needs to be sexy. It's true. Nobody else is complaining about the cold. But to be fair, they're all bundled up like shit. Yeah. Scorpia even has these giant, awesome, like, fingerless gloves on her pincers. Absolutely. I think that's a wonderful thing to kind of, like, keep in the back of your mind as as we go forward with this episode. And just kind of see what that is. Yeah. Yes. But all, all very good. All um, very good. And I love that Catra's like, you don't have a friggin' space heater. Because, like, I'm I'm with Catra on this. But we don't get there yet. No, so. I agree completely. But it's also very in character for Entrapta to be like, we're going on an expedition. I need all the science equipment. But she's yeah. not going to think about the practical stuff. She's not thinking about blankets and space heaters and what kind of conditions are going to be there for their fragile human Ethereum bodies. Right. Who needs that she's anyway? She's just thinking about the science. So Entrapta, she clarifies, she didn't say weapon, she said tech, and it's buried deep beneath the ice, hence the drilling, and it's powerful AF, probably from the first one, supercomputer. Mm, Yep, yep. And Catra is worried about returning empty-handed if they don't find this mythical piece of shit, and Entrapta is not worried about that at all, because a scientist never returns empty-handed, there's always data. Which Catra could give a rat's, a frozen rat's ass about data. That's true. Catra's just like, we need to get our shit. And Entrapta's like, but information. And Catra's like, I don't give a fuck about information. I'm cold. Get me, get me material things. Get me my material thing that I came here for. Yes. My last note for this scene is all caps, Catra, find something useful or we're leaving. Usual Catra threats and crankiness. I have a lot of negative things to say and I hate flowers. I love this. <laughs> and I love the the ending shot before we get to our opening theme is outside the base, a creature crashes through the snow, roaring and writhing. And this is a setup of uh, we're going to 
talk a little bit more about this, but this is a setup where they use some, as Jenny mentioned, some horror tropes related to the isolation horror. Mm. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna get there in a tiny bit. And we're gonna drop some uh, some classic names for that. So nice. So let's do some credits, 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 credits. We're going to win in the end, or do we? Jenny, do you think we do? Want to take a bet on it? (sighs) I don't know, man. I'm I'm not a betting man myself. Who knows if we're going to win in the end? Who knows if we're going to win in the end? It's dicey, man. It's dicey. I will put five doll hairs on the... I will see your five doll hairs. Okay. We'll see. Five doll hairs on them winning in the end. Them, of course, being... She-Ra and the princesses of power. All right, I will. I will put five doll hairs down that Catra and Scorpia and and Entrapta will win in the end. We'll see. Uh, well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see. Let's see what happens as uh, as the dragon's daughter five cuts a beautiful line through the semi-frozen seas. I love this, and I love I love all of the rebellion snow outfits, and they're oh, super cute. Can we talk about those for a second? Yes, please. Okay, so I just have a couple of different things that I love about them. And then if you want to go into more depth, I invite that. So first, Glimmer has adorable earmuffs. Mm -hmm. Bo is wearing the cutest mittens. And also, how does he use an iPad with mittens? Magic. Magic, yeah. (laughs) It's magic. And also, his jacket is cut, so he kind of has, like, the illusion of a midriff showing. But I think... I think he's wearing, like, a thermal under it. Yes! I was thinking it was, like, um... It was like a cummerbund made of like polar fleece. A polar fleece cummerbund. Either way, he's not really showing his midriff, but his jacket still has to give the illusion. Exactly. It's like a crop top. You know, Bo is never going to wear a full length top in any universe under any conditions. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. That's just not what bows do. Mm-mm. Okay, so now we have uh, Seahawk's big puffy coat and goggles mm-hmm. that... I love the fact that, and fingerless gloves. So, see, and this kind of ties into Seahawk's whole am I cool thing. So, Seahawk's big puffy coat is open. His goggles are on the top of his head, and he's wearing fingerless gloves in the Arctic, which means he kind of has all of these like accessories for not being cold, and yet he's not really <laughs> using them to the full advantage because he's cool. That is a very good point that I had not thought of. Yeah, he's too. I know. Well, I mean, I do that. Like, I, mean, I am way too cool to wear this puffy jacket, and then I, then I, you know, I'm freezing my ass off, and I'm like, final zip it off. I will give a tiny counterpoint to that, which might be nitpicking, but as someone who grew up um, doing a lot of like outdoorsy winter stuff, sometimes uh-huh. you need a lot of layers because when you first go out, you're freezing, but then once you've been out for a while and your blood is pumping, you start to get hot. So sure, you need sure. to that slow- totally makes sense. You need to slowly start delayering, and sometimes that just means you unzip the big coat, and sometimes yeah. that means you take off one layer, and sometimes you know the fingerless gloves are good because you you know you start to get hot, and also sometimes the fingerless gloves are good just because you need to be able to use your fingers, and if you are doing nautical things, I can only imagine that you need to mm. be able to use your mm-hmm. fingers to do the knots and and all that, and as far as the goggles. Like, later he has the goggles on when the blizzard is really blizzarding in his face. He is using them. But right now they're sort of in, like, resting mode. Right. Okay. So maybe, maybe he is in, 
this state of semi-undress with his outer gear right now because that's all he needs. Maybe. Okay. But you could also- I don't think either one of us could prove our case one way or the other. Uh, Yeah, no, that makes sense. As somebody who has recently been going outside during cold- and doing things yes, like that, yes. I can, I can, uh, I can attest that that makes a lot of sense. But also, he's so concerned with being cool that yes, both, well, both we can hold both truths. Yes, here. since that is like his main theme of the episode. Yeah, I cannot this argue the dialectic of Seahawks coolness. Oh God! But also, like, there's a deeper theme with him and Scorpia of you know, I know how you let yourself be treated in a relationship and how you see yourself and value yourself. No, and why don't they like me? Oh, yeah. why don't? I, Am I baby a Scorpio? human being? And the answer is yes. A resounding yes. And Adora just turns into Shira. Yeah, Adora doesn't. Well, not Adora. Shira needs no winter gear. Yeah, and Adora does not bother with putting on winter gear because you know she just why turns would into you? Shira. She can just turn into Shira. Yep. So. Yep. Love it. So those those were my observations on the Dragon's Daughter Five and and her intrepid crew. Indeed, indeed, I love it. What happened to the Dragon's Daughter Four? It did not go down to adventure. It went down no, to termites. Aww. The most tragic loss of all. It didn't even get to go down in a blaze of glorious flames. <laughs> nope, it went down in a blaze of... Tiny chewing. Tiny chewing. Yes. Tiny, tiny but, chewing. But nonetheless, Seahawk is super pumped to be on another adventure with the Rebellion. Aw, because Marmesta canceled yeah, their plans. Marmesta and she's ditched with, him. Yeah, uh, hang out with other friends and, you know, didn't invite Did him. Did not and, invite him. And all of our hearts collectively break into tiny little mustache-shaped pieces. Oh, to be fair, my heart is always breaking into tiny little mustache-shaped pieces when it breaks, so. Yeah, that's fair. For you, but not necessarily for for all of us. But not for everybody. Yeah, Yeah. no. See, and this is the beginning of Seahawks' theme and subplot throughout this episode. And, you know, it's funny, but it's also very real. Yeah, you know, yeah, it is. sometimes you might be in a relationship with someone who treats you great when you're alone together. <laughs> it's very relatable. And yeah. then maybe when you're not alone together, when you're with their other friends or your collective friends, they might not treat you that well at all. They might act like they're embarrassed to be with you. They might mm. belittle you. They might exclude you from their group plans with their other friends entirely. And over time, that kind of stuff really takes a toll. Yeah, that sucks. So we're going to, we're not going to get into that that. too deeply at this moment because we're just, it's just setting up, but we're going to keep that in the back of our minds. Glimmer says this mission will be a good distraction for him. And she gives us the rebellion's exposition for what's going down here. We've received reports of horde activity from the Northern Reach. They've set up some kind of outpost, but we have no idea why. And Bo's like, but the Northern Reach is nothing but snow and ice. What could they possibly be doing? And then we kind of cut to what they're possibly doing. Yes. Over to the Horde Outpost. And I wrote, this whole scene equals gayest moment. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. This is the start of some of the gayest moments and one of the gayest moment episodes of gayness. Yes. This is like melted rainbow ice cream of gay. Aw, that sounds delicious. It is. I need to take my lactate before having it, though. Yes, that's fine. Yeah. We will permit you to take, Thank your gay, you. to take your gay lactate to enjoy maximum gayness. Yes, and also we will offer vegan options. Of course, my God. 
Because, you know, we're queer. Of course we will. Yes. Shall we get to Scorpia? Do you want to talk about Scorpia, Meth? Yeah, so Scorpia is absolutely doing the pump up before asking out the girl you like. Where And she's blushing. She has a blush on the entire time. And she's saying, you got, get your head in the game. You got this. You and Catra have a special bond. And deep down in her heart, she knows this. And I'm like, work up that courage, you sweet cinnamon roll. You got this. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm with you, Scorpia. You do this. Mm-hmm. So... Scorpio does the thing. She tries so hard to do the thing. Catra's all all jerky, looking for the space heater. She's super cold. She's snark, snarky and sarcastic. And Scorpio asks her out. And it's so awkward. But who hasn't had that It's so moment? awkward because Catra doesn't notice that she's just been asked out, which yeah. is also kind of relatable. Yeah, it totally is. And Scorpio's doing her damnedest to not be a useless lesbian disaster. Like, really, she's doing it. She's like, hey, I like you. Let's go out. Let's, I don't know, play a board game or other types of bonding activity. But also, I don't know. she's trying really hard to ask her crush out on a date without using the word date. Yeah. And Catra's just not getting it. Yeah. And Scorpia's like, I might die of queer emotional softness in the next 30 seconds, but if I don't, would you maybe want to hang out with me sometime? And Catra's like, uh. Catra's like, we are hanging out, like, right now. Like, what do you mean? I know, because Catra- And Scorpia's like, totally, totes. Sure. But what I meant was like, uh, you know, outside work hours. But I'm going to have an aneurysm trying not to say the word date. And uh, while I do that, I will have to knock over this first one's data crystal from episode 105. (laughs) And Catra picks it up. Call back and Catra's like, what is this? And then Entrapta comes hurtling into the scene, freaking out, tells her to be careful with the murder virus. (laughs) And Catra's incredulous. You brought a murder virus and not a blanket? And I was like, who doesn't travel with a murder virus? Yeah, and you know, if you're in Trapta. And then exactly. we get some more very necessary exposition. And Trapta says, oh, it does other things. For example, when it infected Shira, she lost her powers. Also, she got very floppy. <laughs> and Catra's like, Shira, you say? Golden oh, Retriever and- Headcock. All of the golden retriever head. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, Catra's super paying attention, and Scorpio's like, "Uh, "Can we? Why are we? Why are we talking about your ex?" And and Catra's stoked that there is a quote Shira off switch. Yeah, and Scorpia. It's this whole episode for Scorpia is a real challenge. Scorpia yeah. desperately tries to salvage this moment. She says, so anyway, in non-Shira business, when I said we could do something, and then she's clit blocked again when the giant alarm goes off. Aww. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What's this? Uh, and it's a small bump, but it's fine. Our drilling bots have gone offline. All of them. At once. But it's probably fine. It's probably fine. When Entrapta announces this news that it's probably fine, it's just a minor bump, but all the bots have gone offline at once. 
Catra looks so annoyed and bemused. <laughs> She's got look, like yes. her one eye is a little Ugh. tiny bit twitching. And so I feel like that is Catra's reverse gay smirk. Oh, yeah, the huh? Like instead yes. of instead of being kind of puppyish like Adora's reverse gay smirk like, "Ooh." She's kind of like, oh, "Yeah, Catra's is like, what?" And then uh. Scorpia's looking at Catra like, "No. She, I'm never going to get her attention back now." And they're both kind of just like woebegone. And it's very cute. So I just, you know, that was a moment for me that I was just like, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta have that moment. Absolutely. So I'm going to go into Professor Smart Brain moment here and talk about isolation horror. Yes. So um, while the episode itself is not framed as a horror, we don't have the, the scary and, you know, we don't have particularly a lot of the things that, would define a horror episode like we did in Signals, for example. We do use a lot of tropes here from the isolation horror, specifically from a couple of different ones, which I'm going to uh, call out. So uh, the isolation horror is a subgenre of psychological horror where its person or team is placed in an isolated situation, a cabin in the woods, an Arctic outpost during a storm, spaceship, last person alive, the Overlook Hotel, for example, and is in a situation of imminent danger. So the horror here comes from the isolation and fear of being alone and having to survive in a dangerous situation without outside assistance. With a creature. The creature, exactly. And the infection. The infection is a big one. Um, so isolation is a major trope used in horror, but isolation horror specifically uses this trope as a main source of terror. And some really great examples of isolation horror are The Shining, classic, uh, the first Alien movie, uh-huh. uh, The Thing, which I'm going to be calling in a moment, 28 Days Later, Misery, and the most recent one that I've seen is uh, there's a... a kind of a sl- like a side adaptation of H.P. Lovecraft, The Color Out of Space, which was made in 2019. Uh, it's a Nicolas Cage movie, and it's about this, like, you know, alien that comes to this farmhouse in the middle of nowhere and just takes out this entire family, once again, Ooh. through infection. I never heard of that. The Color Out of Space? Yeah, it's <gasps> awesome. I never heard of it. Jenny, it's so good. I gotta watch it. You know I love horror it's, movies. It's so good. I know. So nice. this entire episode calls a couple of different, uh, brings in a couple of the different tropes here. And it comes from two very specific types of um, texts that I've identified, which are both influenced by the same text, which is really interesting. So the first one is uh, the John Carpenter classic horror film, The Thing. So John Carpenter... Horror guy, Halloween, uh, also cult guy, uh, Escape from New York, Escape from L.A., um, Big Trouble Little China, awesome director, like, you know, one of the big genre director guys. The Thing is a John Carpenter isolation horror about scientists trapped in a small space in the Arctic. I think it's the Arctic or the Antarctic. A cold, small place (laughs) where uh, a creature is infecting them and is able to shapeshift into any of the crew before killing them. The other text that I want to reference is the, uh, there's an episode of the X-Files, which is a little bit closer to this. Um, uh, and we'll see that with uh, Berserker Shiro. Um, first season of the X-Files episode, Ice. 
uh, Mulder and Scully investigate the deaths of an Alaskan research team. Isolated and alone, the agents and their accompanying team discover the existence of an extraterrestrial parasite organism that drives their host into impulsive fits of rage. Like, I don't know, a murder virus or uh, like that, you know, might infect, I don't know, giant bugs. Imagine that. Imagine that. Both of these come from a classic 1938 astounding science fiction story. So it was printed in astounding science fiction, which was a, a horror pulp called Who Goes There? Mm. So this is an old school. Nice. Like, yeah, this is cool. So both of them were very influenced by this. Um, and it is the story of a group of people trapped in an Antarctic research outpost with shape-shifting alien monsters able to absorb and imitate any living being. So that one is, you know, that one is a direct influence on the thing. So we're seeing a couple of different things here. We're seeing the isolation by the blizzard, right? We're seeing also these two teams that are isolated and are already antagonists with each other, but no one can really come to save them. They have to save themselves. And we're seeing that the danger is literally coming from inside. Mm-hmm. So, so the danger is coming from a, a murder virus. So, you know, this is definitely, mo- this is an influence. This isn't a pastiche like we talked about in Roll With It. Right, no. But this is absolutely an influence from these, you know, a, kind of a direct influence from these kind of two texts. Uh, and I wanted to bring that up. Is this a horror episode? It has elements of horror, but I wouldn't say that it's a horror episode. No, no. I would just say that there are horror tropes at play. Absolutely. And it's tropes from these very specific examples of it. I mean, those examples are examples of the trope. I wouldn't say that, like, this is directly taken from those. I would say that those are other examples of the trope. Yes, exactly. Um, And there's another horror trope. Maybe horror might be too specific of a word, and I was going to bring this up later. We'll get into it later. Um, And this is more of a misdirect. This is not what it actually is, Mm -hmm. but of the the spirit that is insulted or disrupted and becomes angered and becomes a source of danger and wrath when it would otherwise have been a benign spirit. Yes, I love that. And that's taken a lot more from Eastern mythology and Eastern traditions. So Mm. I couldn't find as many examples as I wanted to. I was thinking more of like Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli, Spirited Away. There's one example straight from Avatar that I'll talk about later. Mm -hmm. Because every time I tried, you know, and I don't have as deep of a background in this as I would like. Every time I tried to Google, you know, like angered spirits, um, you know, disrupted spirits... It just, everything went, you know, because we are in the United States, everything went to, you know, Indian burial grounds. Which is such a Which is a huge gross. thing. Yeah. It's which, a gross trope. Yes. It's disgusting. It's like poltergeist and, you know, every American yeah. horror movie where it's like, oh no, we disinterred an Indian burial ground to make our condo complex. Right. And like, and now they're like, angry. Right. And while it's intended to be kind of like, you know, when it was when it was really used, intended to be a progressive thing, like it also indicates and identifies that like, well, there's no more Indians left. Right. 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 No but more also, Indians. Like, that which is, is very much gross. grounded in where we are. We are in North America. This is our right. history. And exactly. this other trope that we are looking at, this angered spirit comes very much more from Eastern mythology and Eastern traditions. So I just, you know, not having enough background in it myself, I didn't have a foothold to do a deep dive. But yeah, I, I pulled totally. a couple of examples and we'll come to that later. Yeah, 
And when we come to that, I also have another example since you mentioned Ghibli. So I'm super excited Yay. to talk about that. Yeah, because I love Ghibli. This was an excellent opening moment to discuss um, the horror tropes that are at play here. Yeah. So now we're back with the Best Friend Squad outside in the blizzard. Best Friend Squad plus Seahawk. Plus Seahawk. And Seahawk is unpacking his relationship issues with Mermista to his friends. Because queer processing. Because queer processing and wondering how much of it is a reflection on him. Exactly. And this is where I wrote, it's not about you, Seahawk. It's just her stuff. We think you're cool. I wrote that too. I wrote, poor insecure Seahawk. I think you're cool. I get it, buddy. Yeah. And you know, we love Mermista. We, love, we do. We love all of our babies, but they all we have do. shit that they have to work on. Absolutely. Without and exception. Like, without exception. And Seahawk is... He's so sweet. You know, and it's not okay to cancel on your partner at the last minute to make friend to make plans with your other friends and just blow your partner off and not include them, especially if it's a habitual issue. Exactly. And your partner is a mustachioed pirate. That's also not cool. I mean, I think it doesn't matter who your partner is. I know. I if was you can, a joke. Yes, yes. Especially <laughs> if your partner is a mustachioed pirate, they deserve love. And if you cannot give your partner love while also hanging out with your other friends, then maybe this is not the right relationship for you. Yeah. Maybe you Unfortunately. should like, work out your shit. Maybe you should work out your shit. And this is, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's still early in the series. Yeah. Yeah. They, they got time to work on this. They got time. But so unfortunately, know. because of Remista's own insecurities and her inability to embrace the fullness of her emotional spectrum and her need to... Her need to be able to act detached, she has made Seahawk feel insecure about his own self-worth. And that is just very, very sad. And that's not okay, Marmesta. Yeah, it's not okay. Uncool. Unfortunately, we have to label this uncool behavior, Marmesta. It's okay. Yeah. I'm sure there's therapists over in uh, in the Sea Kingdoms. Yeah, this is the, we can go to the Selenius therapist, Therapy Group. and Yep. For for disaffected bisexual mermaid queens. <laughs> that is way too close to home. <laughs> Meanwhile, Shira thinks there might be something else out here as she observes some very large, deep tunnel-like tracks in the snow. Ed Seahawk tells tells tale of strange things happening in the northern reach. Mm-hmm. Voices in the wind, monsters in the snow, machines breaking down. You know. Mm-hmm. We could be next. But then he needs reassurance that he's cool. I, I am. I am cool, right? I, I am. And everyone's like, all right, uh, we get it. You've probably been saying this the whole time. We like you, Seahawk, but, yeah, you know. Yeah. But, you know, they can't give him the reassurance that he really needs to hear from his partner. Right, because they're, exactly. And also, like, they're on a mission. They're busy. Like, they don't. Yeah. He's, you know. That's also, also true. <laughs> they are on a mission. Like, it's like they, you know, it's okay for them to draw boundaries and be like, dude, we get it. But, like, maybe you should process another time. Like, we're all working right now. Yes. Since you just pointed out that. Monsters are in the snow. Machines are breaking down when we could be next. <laughs> Perhaps maybe we can process later. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, totally. Yes. Totally. Yes. So yes, off they go, basically. So, you know, Bo's like, you know, we get a little exposition about Bo's tracker pad and what's been happening. Oh, Bo's tracker pad has been on the fritz since the rogue communication hub. Remember that, kids? Uh, we do remember up. that. I have trouble pinpointing the location. Seahawk is like, we'll follow our instincts. Points the wrong way. 
Of course he does. Of and of course, course in that does. exact moment, tracker pad comes back online with yep. a new massive signal in the exact opposite direction. Oh, looks like it works. Off they go, leaving Seahawk to feel shitty about himself yep. yet again. And then we go back to the horde. Yep. So they are now over at the drilling site, looking down at the giant chasm from that b- drilling bridge where they can now see that there are zero bots. Yep. And, you know, Entrapped is like, oh, maybe there is scientific truth about the rumors happening, and the strange rumors happening yes, in this reason. Yes, yes, Um, Once again, doing the whole <laughs> mad science and magic thing, right? Just Yeah, kinda... and my note says, Entrapta, as usual, is not freaked out by anything, just casually ponders the scientific possibility that ghosts are real. Yep. And I, and I just wrote, <laughs> ooh, spooky, because yes. I'm deep. <laughs> Yes. And Katra pivots to her comfort position of threatening and ordering everyone around. Mm-hmm. When ba ba bum Shira's here. Shira's and Katra's here. here. And, and it's a Katra Dora scene. Gay, 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 gay. This is gayest moment for math number gay. This is number gay. So we have it's gayest scene number gay. It's the gayest scene in this scene. So the snow clears and reveals the best friend squad and Seahawks standing behind Shira on the bridge. And now we have the two groups facing each other. Katra, Shira, it's been a while. <laughs> hey, Adora. So they haven't seen each other since the Battle of Bright Moon. No, they haven't. And they just ignore everyone and just run at each other. <laughs> yes, like, yes. So Shira inadvertently shows Katra how clueless she is. By suggesting that Shadow Weaver is the one who sent them out here as a punishment. Yeah. To keep them away from the real action. And since they lost the Battle of Bright Moon. Right. And Catra's like, uh, you are so clueless. And they just gay at each other. Yep. They just run off to gay wrestle as per usual. As per leaving usual. everyone else. And there's like a behind. beat where everyone just kind of looks at them and looks at each other and is like, well, I guess we got to fight now. I guess we're supposed to fight. Right? That's what happens now? And I love the catcher's like, do you want us to go? Try and make us. My pleasure. And they just, <laughs> like, these two dorks are just running off to fight each other alone again. Yep. And that reminded me of one of the recent memes that someone posted. We have um, this illustration in one of our Shira subgroups. It's a rather explicit illustration of Catra and Adora about to get frisky. And people just keep commenting on it every month or two to keep it current. And so someone posted a little thing under it. It's of Katra and Shira, Katra and Adora rather, texting each other. And all it is, is one of them saying, die. And the other one saying, come kill me. And then the next one, you know, like they're making out. Yeah. So that's what I think of when I think of this is one of those like, oh, you know, you're so stupid. No, you're stupid. Why don't you come make me? And then they just go off to kiss. And then they go off to make out. Yeah. But of course, at this moment, making out for them is fighting. Yes. Because they got to work that out. That's their love language right now. Yeah. They got to work that out. They got to go gay wrestle. So everybody takes a beat. And then we have them. We have the... the, um, Adventure! Adventure with with his lightsaber. And Scorpia. And poor Scorpia. This is not how tonight was supposed to go. Because I also hate it when the ex shows up and just ruins the night. I mean, ugh, I know. who wouldn't hate that? I know. I know. Yeah, so they all have motivation to leap into battle. Yeah, so, and while they leap into battle, Seahawk and Scorpia decide they're going to gay process while fighting. I know, and before they start gay processing, I wrote, Seahawk and Scorpia are battling with lightsabers, apparently? Yeah. 
Not sure where they got lightsabers from. We're not going to have a weapons corner on that because we all know what lightsabers are. Right. Yeah. Right. Yes. And now Seahawk and Scorpia start their gay processing. And it's like, would you describe me as cool? <laughs> Scorpia, While we're here. <laughs> Scorpia's like, potentially. <laughs> yes. She's I, perfectly happy to engage in this conversation. Sure, and I love. She's a very generous friend. She is. And I, what I love about this is they're showing that these are people and even though they're like, you know, they're depicted as really just being soldiers on two sides of the war, not necessarily being like mortal enemies. And of course, they would still have a conversation about their insecurities while right, they're fighting. Right. Scorpia and Seahawk are very much people first. Yeah. They oh, totally. In everything. In everything. Do. Yes. We have Bo trying to reason with Entrapta and mm-hmm. <laughs> that backfires. Yep, and just, you know, again goes to show that uh, Entrapta has zero sense of self-preservation or attachment to outcomes. Right, and Bo is always trying to, you know, get to the heart of the matter, so to speak, right? Right, he doesn't want to fight, he wants to make her understand. Exactly, exactly. Which, once again, backfires. Yep. Meanwhile, Catridor is still fighting, and Shira gets catcher at sword point, but obviously and predictably, she cannot follow through. Okay, so we 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 skipped over a very important thing where oh, uh, Shira transformed the sword into a rope and ties her up and pulls her back, <laughs> and then turns the rope into a sword. Oh, okay, yes, yes, yes. Catcher enjoys being tied up. Yeah. So then we get to the because she's like all smug about it, right? And, <laughs> and then Catcher so. Catra says, oh, please, you would never have the guts. And that echoes hologram Catra, the I knew you couldn't do it. Yes, 100% accuracy. And I feel like we get like a beat where that runs across She-Ra's face because Adora knows that. Of course. And What's she going to do? Yeah. She's like, oh, shit. <laughs> That's like, right. Like, What's so, my next move? Right, yeah. What's my next move? Uh, I guess I should tie you up again. Right. <laughs> and of course, Catra uses this and says, you know, as much as I love our fights, it's way too cold for this. Mm-hmm. Why don't we try something new? And pulls out the disc and touches the sword with it. Mm-hmm. And then the sword grows red veins and Shira cries out as waves of energy erupt from the sword. And Catra enjoys watching this so much. So much. And here is where I have another Professor Smart Brain moment. Oh, what's the topic? We are going to talk about the Berserker. I have no idea what that even is. Tell me. So the Berserker is a warrior that comes from uh, uh, actually Nordic history. Aha. Uh-huh. Who is said to have fought in a trance-like fury uh, mm. that is like... They get into such a trance, they would howl like wild beasts, foam at the mouth, and gnaw at the rims of their shields. According to beliefs, during these fits, they were immune to steel and fire and make great havoc in the ranks of the enemy. Wow. So, uh, the like, berserker mode is literally when you go into a mode where you are essentially, like, blind to all things, and you just fight. And you fight wow. so much. That nothing, you are impervious to pain, you are impervious to like, you're impervious to both pain and sometimes to injury. It's like that, like adrenaline thing. 
It sounds like being on PCP. Kind of. So that's funny that you mentioned that because uh, there are a number of different theories as to how the Berserkers got to Berserker mode uh, because they were an actual they were an actual phenomenon. They're, the Berserker was an actual historic phenomenon. Wow. Um, Is there a time period roughly for this? Uh, just Nordic Middle Ages, you know. Okay. Um, so the practice was commonly thought to be brought up, um, brought about by psychoactive drug a combination of psychoactive drugs and uh entering a trance-like meditative state Mm. Um, the most likely candidate for the psychoactive drug would be henbane which is you know there were henbane seeds found next to corpses of the berserker warriors um and that gives that plus being in like a like a like a trance state would enable this kind of mental and physical um, space for them to go into berserker mode, right? Yeah, and I'm sure that once you start to go into that mode and you have it in your mind that this is what's happening, yeah, it would be easier to sustain it once you're in it. Exactly. You know, it's you just like, let everything go, and you're in this trance. Once you're in a trance-like mode, and all this action is happening, and then you have drugs in your system. Yeah, you're gonna yeah. keep going. That's wild. That is so cool. And because it's Nordic, and obviously Shira comes from Nordic tradition, it seems like they probably they probably knew about this. Even though to me, this is brand new information. So here's a couple of really fun things. So to go into berserker mode was to go into a mode. It's called Hamask, which translates to change form. Berserker itself comes from the word uh, berserk, which is likely to mean bear shirt, as they would dress in bear skins in order to become the wildness of a bear to get into wow. this sense of fury. And this is fucking awesome. The fury itself is called berserker gang, which not only occurs in the heat of battle, but also like you could do it to like do laborious work, like lift like you get into a space where you can perform impossible things for human power so this is fun the condition is said to have begun with shivering chattering of teeth and chills in the body and then the face swells and changes color Hmm? this is like proto hulk stuff it's like proto hulk stuff yeah exactly and this is also where the word berserk comes from etymologically exactly so when we get when they get to that point they are taken over by a great rage howl like wild animals and cut down everything they met without discriminating between friend and foe. This all tracks. Exactly. After a warrior, a berserker warrior comes out of berserker mode, they quote, go into a space where a great dulling, dulling of the mind and feebleness occur, which lasts for one or several days. So they have yeah, a fucking com- bet. They have a calm down and yeah. they act totally out of it. Yeah. Like our beautiful friend, Drunkadora. Yeah. So we have Berserker She-Ra. And that is your Professor Smartbrain moment on the Warriors, the Berserker Warriors. That is the coolest shit ever. Thank you. I thought that was pretty fun. That was really fun to like, that was really fun to research because we're, you know, a lot of folks are familiar with the um, kind of pop culture understanding of Berserker. It is actually, it's funny, uh, when one plays as a barbarian in D&D, you can go into a Berserker mode. Wow. But this is kind of the historical uh, yeah. little bit of... This is a real thing from history. It's a real thing from history. And it's wild. And uh, another really fun thing before I completely go out of Professor Smart Brain space is that... 
the the you know the bear shirt thing carries over to Danish monarchs currently wear bear skins ceremoniously as a form of strength that comes from this. Wow. So there Rock we go. On. Yeah. Rock on, Professor Smartbrain. So fucking berserker mode, we get a berserker Shira who completely transforms into this creature of pure rage. And I think Catra does say at least once that she can make Shira go berserk. Yep. So that seems very intentional. Yeah. Nice. So we have terrifying shit going on here. Yeah. Um, and Catra thinks it's pretty cool. Because she's never she seen... She thinks it's the best thing that's ever happened. Well, she's never seen Adora let go before. Also true. Also true. And attack her friends. And attack her friends. But it kind of falls back on Catra when she then comes after Catra. Of course, because this berserker Shira cannot be controlled. And this is probably one of the most violently terrifying scenes that we see in the entire show. Where Catra attempts to, you know, so Catra then attempts to fight Shira because it's Adora. And Catra actually says desperately as they're fighting, Adora, wait. Yeah. She, yeah, she is she's the only one who never calls Adora Shira. Exactly. Even when Adora is in Shira mode. Exactly. And so, like, she sees crazy shit happening. She's like, yeah, fuck yeah, I can control this. Catra goes to fight her and essentially, like, contain her. Right. So here's the thing. Catra blinds Shira moment momentarily with snow to with the snow. face. Mm-hmm. Catra attempts to flip over Shira, but Shira grabs her ankle and slams her to the ground. It's yep. violent. Yeah. And then we have the point where Shira is actually going to attack Catra with the sword until Scorpia stops it. Yep. And of course, Scorpia is the one who would always come to Catra's rescue, no matter what. Absolutely. And in Scorpia doing that, she knocks the sword out of Adora's hand. And then we have the beginning of Drunk Adora. Yep. And she ends Berserker mode. And then we have a little bit of exposition here from Entrapta saying, mm-hmm. oh, I get it now. The sword got infected, not Adora herself. I guess she really is organic matter. Guess so. So I noticed that uh, when Entrapta says this, I noticed, and I kind of pinked something in System Failure that I wanted to check out again. Uh, so I went back and, and kind of just did a little bit of research and checked it out. Um, and I can, you know, if folks were, are interested, I do have some uh, timestamps and I do have some screenshots for this. So in System Failure, the sword is the thing that gets infected before Shira, right? And we see Shira start to turn into Berserker mode. We, so we see like the beginning of it. So her eyes do get vein, her red, and we do see the sword get veiny. And then Adora, then Glimmer takes the sword away before she goes into full berserker mode, and the sword itself gets fully corrupted. So we do see that from the hilt up through the, up through the magical clit, <laughs> um, it is covered in the virus. We have her then turn into Drunk Adora until the virus disc is tur- the disc quote disc is turned off. This is consistent with what is happening in this episode. But there are a couple of shots in System Failure where we have Adora pick up the sword again and it is not infected. I want to go back to what is implied here and figure out if this is an inconsistency or if this is part of the world building or like a messy part of the world, like in an animation or a messy part of world building. Because there are a lot of gaps in the world building here. So in this, she turns into full berserker mode. Right, because yes. the because her she's first of all she is Shira, right? 
and the connection is not broken in time. So we actually see the virus crawl up the entire sword and up into Adora, then, then Shira. So both right. she, she and the sword are fully covered and infected. And when she is disconnected from the sword, we see that the sword is still fully infected and infected throughout the entire episode because it's, you know, right. it's the important part of the episode to know that the sword becomes infected, Adora is affected by it, and we see that Katra, you know, deduces that once she has the fully infected sword, she has control over Adora slash She-Ra. So that well, she thinks she has control. She thinks she does. But this is, you know, this is the implication that we have here. Yeah, yeah. For all the, for all the viewer knows, this is what's happening. So then my question here is when she is disconnected from the sword and the sword is not fully infected, will she, you know, because we see she doesn't become, she doesn't become She-Ra. So does the sword have to be fully infected for her to become Berserker? Or is it a gradient? Or did they just screw up the animation? I think that's a great question that could probably, as all of your world-building questions, there's a lot of possible answers. Absolutely. And I think that what you just told us about the history of Berserker warriors, obviously that is the origin of where they created this, but it doesn't necessarily have to be identical. So the fact that like the come down mode follows Berserker mode, that's the origin of this, but it doesn't have to mean that that's exactly how it's going to go here. Absolutely. So like... It is an inconsistency that she picked up the sword again in System Failure and didn't turn into Berserker Shira. Right. Versus here, it's implied that every time she touches the sword, she's going to turn back into Berserker Shira. Right. And also, can you remind me, at the end of System Failure, did they end the murder virus by destroying the disc or just by, like, turning it off? By turning it off. Right, so that's what I thought. That's what they said. That's why she still has the disc. They turned it off. Right. Well, I thought maybe they broke it and then they put it back together. I couldn't remember if they yeah, had done that. Yeah. So they just had to turn it off. And versus this time, they just had to touch it to the thing, and then in order to end it, they had to break it. Right. Exactly. So that that alone is an inconsistency. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, or maybe it's not an inconsistency. Maybe there's more than one way to activate it, and this way of activation was more intense and more immediate. Maybe it's not an inconsistency. Who knows? Right. That is an excellent theory. So, folks, if you want to, like, why don't you write in to us with your theories about what you think happens? Is it an inconsistency? Is it, you know, can we retcon this? What's, what is going on? Because they do have a fair number of world-building inconsistencies eventually. Yeah. And just for me personally, and this is the kind of fan that I am, I generally don't get that bad out of shape about inconsistencies as long as it's not to do with character traits and character development. Yeah, I, like, I, I if totally you, If you that, start yeah. to have inconsistencies with your characters, that's when you lose me. Yeah, Jenny, you're definitely a big character person, so I totally get that. Yep, yeah. yep, yep, yep. But, you know, sometimes you build this crazy world and it's hard to keep things perfectly in line with how you created them two, two or three years ago. Right. You know, it, it like, it's not real. You can do what you want. That's, that's, that's my, like, resting position. Totally. But I know that... That's not everyone's resting position, and that's okay, too. Absolutely, yeah. And I feel like this is the type of juicy, fun thing that we get out of this show, right? Absolutely. And that's why fan culture is so much fun, because we all get to talk about it and dissect it together. Absolutely. So the end of this scene is Catra congratulating herself on capturing Adora, and they bring her back to the Horde base. And as they do that, we see the profile of a creepy snow monster. 
creepy snow monster. Oh no. Yep. But so that's the end of that scene. I do really, we missed a really gay moment. Oh shit. The gayest of gay moments are, so Catra has the sword now, walks over to Adora laughing. This went so much better than I could ever hoped. Scorpio mm-hmm. is holding Adora by the arms backwards. Adora is facing Catra kind of chin out. Catra oh, right. takes the, t- the hilt of the sword, mm-hmm. lifts Adora's chin, gets right in her face, like to a point where they could totally kiss right now, and says, looks like you're mine now, Adora. Oh, That's yeah. hot. That's hot. Also very strong Buffy Faith vibes. Very strong Buffy Faith vibes. Very strong. I feel like we've literally seen this with Buffy and Faith before. Uh, Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so this is the note that I have for this. Gayest of gay screaming, gayness of gay, 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 holy gay, the sword chin tilt is like gayer than gay people actively (laughs) gaying. Yeah, that covers it. And poor Scorpia is sitting there holding her crush's unconscious ex. Yeah. Watching this happen. Watching this happen. While she has just failed to successfully ask her crush out. Also, that's really gay, too. It's layers and layers of gay. This is like a layered rainbow cake of gay. Uh, So off they go. Off they go. And meanwhile, below in the ice wreckage. So during that fight... At one point, Shira got her sword stuck in the ice, and in order to wrench it back out, she caused a giant, like, ice slide, and Glimmer, Bo, and Seahawk all fell way down this cliff of ice, and now they're way, way down there. Yeah. And so now we find them pulling themselves out of this ice wreckage. And I love Seahawk. I, for one, am shocked and terrified. Speaking for the group. Laying out the emotional stakes. Right, and then Glimmer. Na- narrating the daring dudes. And then Glimmer immediately brings up the uh, um, expositional stakes. Yep, yep, that's what Glimmer always does. It's very handy. She tells us the Entrapta's disc infected Shira, just like in episode 105, and they have to destroy it for good. Yep. And so Seahawk's like, well, let's teleport up there. Adventure! Yes. Because, you know, he has to, he has to like, you know, punctuate everything with the word adventure, as we know. Well, you know, he's also, I mean, not for nothing, they did just suffer a significant defeat. Their spirits are low. They could use some pumping up. Sure. I agree. But Glimmer does not have any teleports left. Her turn is over. Can't do it. And Seahawk is like, well, that's terribly inconvenient. Yeah. I love, good job, buddy. I love his understatement, but like, it's so jolly. And I don't think he means it yeah. a sarcastic understatement. He's just like, oh, that's inconvenient. Yeah, and yeah, but you know, yeah. Glimmer's pissed. Glimmer Glimmer just wants to like beat the crap out of Catra. Yeah, and my last note for that little scene, and I'm sure this is a note referring to Glimmer, is Catra needs the smirk wiped off her stupid sexy face. She's just stupid sexy Catra. Yeah. Yep. So I yeah, I also have that. We we have another stupid sexy catra moment. And then we quickly go back to the horde base. Yep. Where the super pal trio stands over an unconscious Adora. Ugh, and I this is really gay. Of course. Always so perfect. Look at you now. You've come back to the horde under my command. Gay, 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 gay. This is gay. Uh, 
And poor Scorpia, uncharacteristically low enthusiasm. Yep. So we're uh, keeping her. And of course, Catra is like, you saw her. We have the power to make her go berserk. Uh-uh. Indeed. And now we understand the full nature of what that means. Uh, and it's like, I wonder which of my friends I'll have you annihilate first. Because, gay. Yes. And so then... Catra and Scorpia both laugh, but so they're very different types of laughter. Catra, be gay, do crime, giggles. Yep. Scorpia, awkward, sad laughter as her soul dies inside. Mm. So sad. So sad. We love you. And Entrapta, of course, is still focused on finding the first one's tech that they actually came for. And she just needs a little more time. Because she really loves asking for that, doesn't she? Oh, yeah, because, you know, she's doing a lot. She's never going to run out of scientific things to be doing if you will just give her a little more time. But, you know, Catra's back in the material world and saying the dumb mission is over. We have the ultimate weapon. Once again, Catra's looking for a weapon, not for data. Yep. And also, she's not looking at the big picture anymore. Like, the weapon that they came for is a source of power that's going to charge Hordak's giant portal to bring in alien troops. But she's not even thinking about that. She just cares that she's got Shira. She just wants to see a fright. Exactly. And like, and Trapped is like, ooh, Portal. And Catra's like, ooh, Adora. And, yeah. and Scorpio's like, but- ooh, Catra. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's a perfect little merry-go-round. Oh. And oops, alarm bells. Oops. Now it's time for some alarm bells while everyone is very caught up in their own immediate thing. Yep. Catra goes to check it out and leaves Scorpia in charge of unconscious Adora. Yep. And of course, Scorpia will rock any job that Catra gives her, even if it's babysitting her crush's unconscious ex. Yeah, like, cool, I get to babysit my my crush's got drunk unconscious ex. That sounds like the worst pride ever. Oh, God. It's like the worst and, pride party ever. Oh, <laughs> uh, And then, of course, it's immediately followed by the trope of oops, womp, womp, where'd she go? And we have the physical comedy bit with him trapped his hair hand, and I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Womp, womp. So now we know we're set up for some good physical comedy to come as we transition back to the nearby cliffside where Bo Glimmer and Seahawk are scaling a treacherous cliff while Seahawk continues his rant of insecurity. <laughs> and I have here, oh, wait. They're in the middle of the coldest place on Etheria, and Seahawk keeps asking if he's cool. <laughs> well, they got nothing else to do. But get it cold and cool. Oh, right, 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 right. Womp, womp. Womp, womp. Anyway. I'm a pirate. Pirates are the definition of cool. Hey, pirates are pretty cool. Pirates are fucking cool, yeah. man. He's right. Yeah, he's, he's right. He's not wrong. No, he's... Everything he says is right. He's pretty cool. But unfortunately, it's not cool when you lose your grip and start to fall to your doom and your friends have to save you and pull you up the cliff. Yeah, it's like, dude, I get it. You're you're sad. You're insecure. But like, you're, you're at work. You got to keep it together. Yeah. And now as he's being pulled up the cliff, he sings himself a little opposite inspiration song. Oh, Which so is sad. very sad. I'm Seahawk, I am, I am. Want to take a guy for granted, then I am your man. Oh, Seahawk, you're, you're... Guys, back me up, I'm very cool. Seahawk, you are very cool. This too shall pass, Seahawk. Yeah, we got you, buddy. We got you, buddy. Yeah, yeah your friends got your back. So then we go back to Scorpia. Wicked annoyed here. Ugh, gay. Indeed. Gay, gay, gay. The way that Lauren Ash 
delivers the line, but no, I'm stuck babysitting her ex-best friend. Like, you know that she, like, you know, it's the best friend part. I just cut out the best friend part. Yeah. Yeah. Just wanted a moment alone with Katra, but I'm stuck babysitting her ex. Yep. And Lauren Ash is an international treasure. Oh, she is. She is. And obviously that's the gayest moment. Obviously. Obviously. But then enter Drunk Adora. We love Drunk Adora so much. Drunk Adora. She's hanging out with a mop. Drunk Adora is everyone's friend. Everyone's friend. And you're a big bug. We love you, Drunk Adora. Yep. Hit Scorpion in the face with a mop, but in a loving way. (laughs) She's like, I'm taking you back to the lab. Drags her over to the keyless entry pad that she does not remember the combo for. Yeah. And here comes one of my favorite parts, even though it's silly. I love this part. Drunk Adora starts hitting buttons seemingly at random and having the best time ever. Boop. Boop, boop, boop. Boop, boop. Boop, boop, boop. Boop. <laughs> I love it. And this is one of the times when I pull myself out of the moment because I just can't help picturing Amy Carrero sitting in the sound booth having the best time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's one of those. Oh, totally. You know she has a friggin' blast doing Drunk Dora, right? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, it's like, how do they even coach her on, like, what kind of boop sounds do we want? Boop. Can you give a little more, like, like chest in the boop? Can, like, instead of a boop, can we have a boop? Right. A little more chest right. in that. Yeah. Right. Poor Scorpia is just trying to handle a simple task. She's having a Why r- must her crush's drunk ex who is who her crush is still obsessed with vex her so? She's having a real challenge of a day. She's a woman yes. on the edge. Yes, this is a great classic Scorpia line. Yep. Why are you making this so much harder for me? Please, please, I'm a woman on the edge. I've had a real challenge of a day. We've all felt that. Yeah. And again, Scorpio, like, she doesn't even get angry. No. She just gets more and more honest. Yeah. Which is just, like, so beautiful. I know. I love love her. But just as she admits how close to losing her shit she is, boop, green light, doors open. (sighs) And we have another super gay moment. Drunk Adora. I put in Catcher's favorite number. And Scorpio's like, you know Catra's favorite number and I don't. Rub it in my face, don't you? Yes. And I have a question for you, Matt. I have perhaps an answer. Yes. My question is, what do you think Catra's favorite number is? Because I would have guessed 69, but that was hella digits that Adora put in there. So it can't possibly be 69. Yeah. So my guess was going to be 42069 <laughs> because that would, that's what I would put in. Because I'm yeah. like okay, fair. 12. But uh, on June 19th, excuse me, June 9th, 2020, uh, ND and Molly did a um, did a live stream that was a benefit for... That was the BLM live that stream? That was the BLM live stream. And this was a question asked by a fan. And the answer given by ND is Catcher's favorite number is 66666. Was that five sixes in a row? Yes. Six, six, That's very difficult. 666. I feel like that's not really the number that Adora punched in that keypad. MD said that it was a, the number was an inside joke, uh, inside joke with the, the writers. And this was when MD kind of said that actually Catra's favorite number is 66666. So Catra is- Did they say why? No. No. Oh, 
That's gonna drive me crazy. Yeah. I, it's Catra's just metal, so. Ah. Uh. So I mean, you can the entire four-hour live stream is available on YouTube if you want to watch it. There's all sorts of tasty um, post post canon nuggets on it and great drawings of like wine drunk like drunk wine mom. Uh, Shadow Weaver is a good one, yeah, and that's yeah. you know all sorts of fun stuff. So check it out. Well, that's. Juicy, juicy information. Thanks, Andy. So, Scorpia cannot handle this further evidence of the Cachadora bond that she will never break. Yep. But speaking of breaking... (laughs) (laughs) Yep. The wall suddenly rips away, leaving the room open to the blizzard outside. Yep, Ed's... Oops! A creature comes a-creaturing. And creatures the hell out of the wall. Yep, drunk Adora thinks it's fun. Yep, sticks her tongue out, like, ah, catching snow, I'm drunk, Wee! <laughs> Scorpia is more appropriately concerned, grabs Adora, yeets her back inside. Yeet! Scorpia's really good at yeeting. Yeah, of course she is. Yeah. Says they're gonna stay in. Drunk Adora says, yes, girls night in! I love that. As she slides bonelessly to the floor yep. in Scorpia's arms. <laughs> And I just love Scorpia, even when she's not saying anything, like her deadpan reactions are also just comedy gold. It's, I, ugh, I, sweet, I love Scorpia. She's the best. And then we go back super, super quickly over to the cliff face where Bo, Glimmer, and Seahawk have finally made it to the top. Yep. And we have Bo's looking to see if there's any sign of She-Ra and Glimmer's like, no, just a terrifying snow monster. Yep. And then we see the giant tech worm snake thing that they're calling a bug. Yeah. I think it looks more like a giant toothy worm. Yeah, I could see that. Or like a pill bug. Because it kind of like rolls up too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could be a pill bug. Anyway, but they're calling it, they're calling it a bug. They're calling it a bug. Um, Anyway, so then I, my last, my last note there is shenanery time. They have to fight the giant monster bug. Yep, which thinks huge. Yes. And so then while they're occupied with that, we go back to the horde base. So we go back to the Horde base, and uh, Scorpio's like, I can't believe I'm stuck in the closet here with you. And I just giggled. Yes, of course. Because of course. Because I'm, you of know, course. I'm very mature. And then we do have Scor- uh, Seahawk coming in to, mm-hmm. you know, the closet with his goggles and on. And he is wearing his goggles because now, yeah. in the blizzard, he actually needs them. It makes sense. It makes yes. sense. Though I don't know why it wouldn't make sense to wear goggles while you're sailing through a frozen sea, but... You know what? Maybe it was not. Maybe, maybe it wasn't that windy. Maybe it wasn't that windy. Yeah. So you know, nobody else was wearing goggles, and they do look very impressive right now. He's they framed do. with the wind behind him. He looks very cool. He does. I think Seahawk looks very cool. I agree. And uh, Scorpia sees him first, hoping that it's Catra. But when she sees that it's Seahawk, she says, "Inspector Pirate." Which I love that callback. Of course, because in- that's. She's met him before. Yeah, and she only knows him as Inspector Pirate. <laughs> Seahawk yep. is like, oh, I'm here to <clears throat> rescue you. And we're like, I'm drunk Adora. I'm here. More like, I'm here to rescue you. Snort, snort, falling over. Then we have the Inspector Pirate and Big Bug Show, episode two. Oh, I love them. So good. I love them. What so you good. Scorpok. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I got to get it used to, my mouth needs to get used to the taste of it, but. Yeah, no problem. Scorpok. No so we have some yeah. great Scorpok here. Mm-hmm. And Seahawk mm-hmm. doesn't know what's going on. It's like, I, that doesn't make any sense. And it's like, yeah, of course it doesn't. She's <laughs> fucking drunk. 
but <laughs> they begin to fight over her. And they're yeah. pulling on her arms, tug of war style, which is so a, goofy. Yeah, it's goofy. It's childish. It sets up the fact that this is not a serious fight. And Adora stops them both in the middle with her drunken affection. She pats them both on each cheek and tearfully proclaims, you guys are my best friends. Meanwhile, we go back to Catra, mm-hmm. who just really hates this place. Because she, you mm-hmm. know. She's, she's got the infected sword. She's trying to deal with whatever the hell is causing this alarm to go off. She sees something big. She sees something big trying to smash through the wall. She points the sword at it nervously. And all she says is, I really hate this place. And then she runs away because she's smart enough to know not to go looking for trouble in a horror genre episode. Yes, this is absolutely the isolation horror part. And then she runs back to the lab where she finds Entrapta. Right. And then we have another scene where uh, we have a little bit of exposition here from Entrapta saying, Yes. You know, drilling into the ice, we've unleashed these creatures and now they're obsessively trying to destroy us. What an unexpected twist. And then she... And actually, this is a great opportunity to talk about confirmation bias. I love that. Please do. Because drilling into the ice is not what unleashed these monsters. Even though uh, it would be an easy conclusion to come to. And it's the same conclusion that Bo comes to. Right. But that is not what caused the monsters to be unleashed. It was the murder virus in the first one's disc. The murder virus caused caused them to... Is what caused them to attack. Well, it caused them to go cuckoo bananas, but like... As soon as the murder virus is turned off, they go away. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So it would be an easy conclusion to come to. And because it seems like an obvious correlation, that is what they assume happened. Right, but... That's true. But that's not that's not what actually happened. Just because two things happen simultaneously doesn't mean that one caused the other. Right. Correlation does not mean does not equal causality, right? Exactly. That's the yeah. That's so the I just wanted to point that out. Yeah. Thank you, Jenny. I also did the correlation and causality thing there. I appreciate you pointing that out. Thank you. No prob, Bob. Um, and this is also a callback to the isolation horror trope by this like exposition. Like, we've unleashed right. the creatures and now they're trying to destroy us. It's kind of, it's like a very meta like understanding right, of right. it. And too. so this is where I wanted to talk about that other genre trope um, that there is another example from Avatar. So this is a misdirect on the trope of angering a normally benign spirit that is protecting the land, protecting the natural world, and it only attacks when a bunch of asshole colonizers come along and disrespect the land. Love this. Let's go. So that's not what actually happened here, because as we know, it was the murder virus. Right. But that's what it seems like is happening. Right. So it this was something that was like, I got a little mind tickle, and I was like, there's definitely one example of this from Avatar. So I went back um, in Avatar The Last Airbender, Episode 107, Winter Solstice Part 1, The Spirit World. Um, Aang and his friends visit a village that is being terrorized by a local spirit. And Aang finally finds out that the reason for this is because the spirit was angered when the Fire Nation came and burned down the forest. Imagine that. I know. Why would a forest spirit be mad about that? Right? So as soon as they make things right, basically, with the natural world, then the spirit reverts to its natural state of being a benign spirit. And it's a panda, and right? Yeah. yeah. It's it's a big, beautiful panda spirit. Yay, panda spirit. 
And so this is very much an avatar, you know, is based in Asian and Eastern mythology. There's a lot of examples of this in Eastern mythology. And, you know, it was hard for me to find more concrete examples. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's a lot of examples in Studio Ghibli, Mm -hmm. in uh, the movie Spirited Away, which if you haven't seen it, you absolutely should. Gorgeous movie. There are a ton of spirits in there that have more than one form. Their natural form is benign, benevolent. But if they are angered, if they are disrespected, they become absolutely terrifying. Right, exactly. I totally get that. So. Yeah. And uh, when you brought up Ghibli, this also pinged another one. Uh, Princess Mononoke is actually, that's Mm -hmm. like one of the like, that's like the driving like factor in it is that this, you know, this angry, the angry spirit that is being disrupted by Iron Town is taking over like the forest and is like. Totally. Going through and like completely corrupts everything in this like goopy oily kind of like the virus here yes yes so that's another fantastic example also princess mononoke is awesome and everyone should watch it yeah 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 so that's what's happening here we got some exposition and trapta unexpectedly jumping to a conclusion before she has all the data and then we go back to the outside with bow and glimmer who are squatting behind a snowdrift trying to hide from these giant snow bugs and Bo, like Entrapta, comes mm-hmm. to the same conclusion that it's connected to the drilling. But then Glimmer notices their red eyes yep. and she guesses correctly that it's connected to the murder virus. Yep. And, and, and then she says, Catra, Catra, Catra. Right, because she incorrectly blames Catra for the murder virus when really it was actually Entrapta that brought it. Well, it was Entrapta that brought it, but it was um, it, it was Catra who decided to weaponize it. Entrapta only wanted to study it. Catra grabbed it and put it on the sword. Right, and then that activated it for all of the bots? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Entrapta was not planning to weaponize right, it. Right, Because she right. had learned from her mistake that it was dangerous. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I just thought this was Glimmer, just like everyone else in the show, just being like, Catra, Catra, Catra. But yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, yeah, I mean, you're right. We're both kind of right in a way. Also, this is something that popped into my mind recently. I have a strong feeling that a lot of our younger viewers don't know the origin of the catra 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 phrase what it originally comes from oh yeah marsha 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 yeah so that's from, from the brady bunch from the brady bunch <laughs> the brady bunch was a sitcom in the 70s um and jan so it comes from jan brady who was the um middle child of the brady's uh it was often overlooked you know it's kind of a classic thing of the middle child you know middle child syndrome or you know you're not the youngest and you're, you're not the baby and you're not the oldest so you kind of feel like a little left out and you yes. know marsha brady and marsha was the oldest and she got tons of attention because she was perp you know perfectly perfect in every way mm-hmm. um so that comes from you know marsha 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 comes from that there was there was a specific line in a specific episode yeah. and i do not fucking remember what it was and it's, but you know jan says it's always about marsha Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. And if you've seen the meme of, you know, uh, a blonde woman that says, okay, Jan, and okay, any of these, like, you know, okay, and then, you know, fill in the blank here, that also comes from the reboot of the Brady Bunch movie, which was made in the 90s, where everything Mm. was gritty and sarcastic, and RuPaul played the... um, The school counselor, counselor. right? Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, and they always always squeezed in lots of gay characters into those reboots. Yep, exactly. So... Which was... 
Very gratifying. Which was very gratifying. Marsha had a, a lesbian best friend who was like <laughs> obviously in love with I her. I totally forgot about her. Who was super fun. Anyway, and that was also anyway. like a running theme within the those uh, Brady Bunch parody movies from the nineties. They're very. I haven't watched them in a while. I don't know if they if they hold up, but um, I think they do. I watched at least the first one. Not terribly long yeah. ago and i was like this is still a yeah. good fun romp they're very campy they're very fun yeah. um so yeah so we bring we kind of bring that in as catra 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 just like yeah, yeah. why is everyone obsessed with catra including myself like <laughs> we don't wonder about it in catra's case we know why everyone's know obsessed, why obsessed with catra but yeah so yeah, anyway yeah so we have yeah, that yeah. And then we have our snowworm pal showing up. Yeah, and then we have Bo asking if Glimmer has one teleport left, which I think we have. We can kind of uh, generally bring up that whenever Glimmer thinks that she's out of magic, she usually does have one teleport left. Well, I kind of feel like in the same sense that we can all relate to this. Like yeah. if you're so exhausted and you feel like you can't, like you're done, I can't walk another step. In a life and death situation, you can always rally. Right, right. But they're always in life and death situations because they're literally soldiers in a rebellion. So I feel like it's fair to say that Glimmer, if you don't think you have it, you can dig down and you still have it to really save yourself. Yeah, most of the time. We believe in you, Glimmer. But like, even even when she was captured yeah. um, and when she was being held by Shadow Weaver, she couldn't break out for her own sake. But when she saw Dora... Yeah being tortured and about to be mind wiped, she could break out for Adora's sake. So I really feel like there is a level at which when the stakes are as high as they could possibly be, there's a level of adrenaline and self-preservation, you know, slash friend preservation that kicks in. Totally. That you wouldn't, that you wouldn't be capable of if it was just like, we just have to keep walking because we're not there yet. Yeah, exactly. And you're just like, I can't, I'm done walking and I can't walk yeah. another step. Exactly. Anyway. Yeah, I got you. I think we're on the same page. I'm, I'm with you, yeah. Anyway. Cool. So Glimmer does have one teleport left, and Oopsh teleports them right into the Horde Lab. Yep, and Entrapta... Which is a great comedy yeah. beat. So Entrapta sees them and is like, oh, hi! <laughs> hi! Yeah, it's great. <laughs> and the rest of them all just kind of stare at each other because they're like, wait, we're supposed to fight. Yep, and they go into this... It's just chaos. It's just utter chaos. Yep, you know? yep. So Glimmer and Catcher immediately start fighting. Bo shoots an arrow, which accidentally hits Entrapta, she gets wrapped up in a trick arrow ball that's like this giant body bind, but she seems fine with it. Yeah, it's fine. She's like fascinating. Yeah, I love it. And you just see her like rolling in and out of frame and it's <laughs> fucking hilarious. Just an, another thing she can study. Yeah, exactly. So she's so positive. Yeah. So while that shenanery is afoot, we hop back over to Scorpok and Drunk Adora. Yep. And so Scorpion and Seahawk are still fighting over Adora Scorpion insists that Seahawk should fuck off because Catra entrusted her with this job and she cannot let her down. And Scorpion. <laughs> Adora. <laughs> Catra. She's mean. And you know what? We love our mean lesbian. Of course we do. We love our mean lesbian, Catra. You know, the truth must be spoken. And of course, Catra's like, she's misunderstood. You, I mean, you you know this. You grew up together. I can't compete you with that. You of all people. Right? It's like, she's your ex. Yeah. I can't compete with being... I can't compete yeah. with that. You're her ex. But she No knows. matter what I do, yeah. I can't seem to break down her walls. And now I have a new category for meta-est moment. Oh, okay. For this line. Uh -huh. But you two, 
even when you're trying to kill each other, you can tell there's a real bond there. Yeah, that's, to- that's totally meta. Yeah, We're like, like, yeah, we all know. We all know that. We just saw that happening, like, you know. Yeah, like, yeah that's like the theme of the show, yeah, basically. Like 10 minutes ago, we saw that happening. So, yeah. And also every episode and constantly. Also, also every episode forever, and including yeah. the, you know, every other episode forever. Yes, yeah. yes. And then that line is immediately followed by heartbreak. Mm. Because she says, I just wish you would see me as being worth her time, too. Yeah. And she starts to cry and she hides her face behind her claws. And Seahawk is like there with her. And Seahawk's face. I love them. Seahawk's ultimate sad anime eyes reflect all of us. Yeah, I love these two. Yeah. Aww. Yeah. Like nobody could relate more to Scorpia than Seahawk. Seahawk. And ugh, I want their buddy comedy right now. I want it. Oh, I want it to happen. They, they deserve a spinoff I know. so much. They really do. Oh, it would be so glorious. Aww. Anyway. Back to the lab. And Catra, of course, sarcastically is like, always great to see you, Sparkles, but we're a little busy because, yeah, you know, she's still course. being a cocky little fuck. She loves, she loves fucking with Glimmer. Yep. She's not really taking the stakes of the situation seriously. And Trapped is still just doing her research without her hands since she's in a full body bind. Yep. And, you know, once again, we have... Glimmer trying to solve the problem. Catra's like, you don't like my new improved version of She-Ra. And it's like, God fucking damn it, Catra. Like, yeah. this whole thing Bo- is about you controlling She-Ra, bringing her back to the horde. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, ugh, come That's on. That's what dude. everything is about. Everything for you is about bringing, bringing Adora back to the horde. Jeez. Mm-hmm. And Bo is still trying to reason with Entrapta. Yep. And finally, he gives her the piece of exposition that she needs to put the final pieces of the puzzle together. Right. He says, those monsters outside are infected by the same virus that's infecting She-Ra. And so Entrapta realizes that the monsters are also First One's tech. Right, which, like, Bo already figured out. Well, Glimmer was the one who figured right, it out. Right, but it's like, how did everyone get this except for Entrapta? She's so sharp. Maybe she just didn't I care. Know. Well, she was, you know, probably distracted by the thousand other things that she is researching simultaneously. Fair. Fair. This was like a minor thing. Like, oh, we're getting attacked. Anyway, there are some other yeah, things happening. Yeah, that yeah, makes a lot yeah. of sense. But, you know, Bo is also like, he he never loses sight of the big picture in terms of trying to get Entrapta back on their side. Right. He says, Entrapta, please look who you're working with. Whatever the Horde is giving you, it's not worth the damage you're doing to Etheria. Aww. It's like, and she doesn't even seem to hear it. It's not like she's ever arguing against that. Right. She's just... Again, totally focused on the science. She has zero attachment to outcomes, zero sense of self-preservation. You know, all of these dangers are equally dangerous to her. Right. She can't continue her research if she's dead. Right, but still science. But yeah, but none of that even registers for her. Nope, because science. Because science. Yeah. So for now, that's where we're at with her. Yep. And now we go back to our new best buddies, Scorpok and Sleeping Drunk Adora. Mm, They're doing a really good job of drunken babysitting. They are. And they're also doing a really good job of queer processing. They really are. And these two are great. So they're they're, they're just opening up to each other. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they're really seeing, they're seeing each other in each other. Yeah. They they really really are. are. Exactly. They're, they're both commiserating about how unappreciated and badly treated they both are by their significant other slash crushes. I mean, even though Catra is Scorpia's crush, 
in a way, they're kind of like platonic partners because they do everything together and they depend on each other the same way significant absolutely. others do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do you want to read Seahawks' first line here and I'll read Scorpio's yeah. line? Yeah. It's like, I mean, just once I'd like to hang out with Mermista and her friends. I'm good at groups. I have excellent stories of daring do. Why don't they want me around? Oh, I hear you. Catcher's been so busy since she got promoted, but she still always expects me to make time for her. Does she even understand how much I do for her? And this is very, very real. Yeah. This this conversation could happen between any two people anywhere. Absolutely. Like, I relate to this so hard. Oh, Jenny, I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, you know, not right now in my current life. Right. But, um, you, know, but we, you know, I've, we've, we've, many of us, we've been through this. Many of us have absolutely been through this. Yeah. Um, and once you're in it, it can be very hard to climb back out mm-hmm. with with your significant other who has come to treat you in this way where they expect you to always be there for them and you have come to expect yourself to always be there for them, but they put less and less priority on meeting your needs and you start to feel like your needs are just not that important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's a slippery slope. It's a gaslighty, slippery slope. It is a gaslighty, slippery slope. And, you know, like, Seahawk is like, the only time anyone hangs out with me is to give them a ride. Like, it's like, okay, you're the dude with the car. Mm-hmm. And Scorpia's like, Catra once used my rock-hard exoskeleton as a nail file. And she even had I to I even bump. had to bump. And I'm like, oh, that's that's actually kind of funny and sad. Yeah, it's and very sad, just, but it's kind of funny. It's, it's, it's one of those things where you have to laugh or you'll cry. So they both start laughing. Uh-huh. And, and then drunk Adora finally wakes up and tells them, with the utmost confidence that only a drunk person can have, mm-hmm. that nothing is wrong with them. And they are good friends. Yeah. And good people. They are. And she, and she likes them. Yeah. And also, Scorpio is very pointy. Very pointy. And you know what? She's right. She's right. And their confidence points have now been re-upped. Yeah. And it's like, you know, we really are great. And, you know... Seahawk is clever, roguishly good-looking, and a top-notch sailor. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I can relate to that, as I am both clever and roguishly good-looking. Indeed you are. But I'm not a top-notch sailor. No. Well, can't be all things to all people. It's true. And you know what? He doesn't care. And he doesn't need their opinions to validate. And I'm like, hell yeah! That's right. That Seahawk. is the very important end to that thought. Yeah! Is that you can't rely on everyone else's opinions to validate your sense of self. Absolutely. Because he's At Seahawk. the same time, you should not be with a partner who belittles you. Y- yeah, but definitely. Should, but that does not mean that you should rely on them for your sense of self. Absolutely. And then on to Scorpia. She's brave, strong, gives great hugs, and she's loyal. And then she says to Adora, you may have left Catra, but someday she's going to see that I won't. I'll always be there for her because that's who I am. And I love you, Scorpia. And this is where I say, be careful, Scorpia, because when you define yourself as someone who will never leave no matter what, you remove all boundaries for how you allow yourself to be treated, and that's not what you really want. We we see throughout the entire series that Scorpia definitely has boundary issues. Yes, and she does eventually leave. Yeah, she does. She does. She struggles profoundly with her boundary issues. Yeah, she does, both for her, like, herself, like... Yeah. Yes, in both directions. Yeah, absolutely. But so now they are juiced up. They have refound their confidence and their sense of self, and they are ready to kick some bug butt. Yeah, so let's show them what we're made of. Woohoo! Woo-hoo. Adventure! Yes. And now we go back to the lab. And Glimmer is like, we have to destroy the disc or none of us are getting out of here. 
And of course, Catra's like, huh, I must have lost it. Yeah, Catra's still not taking the situation seriously, still being a cocky little fuck. Yep. And, you know, Entrapta's like, oh, it's in your pocket. Entrapta rolling by in her yep. full body bind. Oh, Catra, it's in your pocket, remember? Bo and Glimmer preparing to fight Catra, but before they can, one of the giant bug bots bursts through the wall. Mm-hmm. And then immediately following that, Scorpia, Seahawk, and Adora burst in. And they have a fantastic entrance. Yes. Scorpia runs in and shouts, For the Horde! And Seahawk shouts, I don't agree with that statement sentiment, but I'm also here. And this is one of my favorite lines in the entire show. And oh, <laughs> I just love the, the delivery and the actual line itself is great. Like, uh, and, and Jordan Fisher delivers it perfectly, and I love enemies unified to take on the greater enemy, and also yep. just like, uh, whatever she says, but not that, is just <laughs> always really funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah so. it's great. And then Drunk Adora also is there, waving a mop like it's a sword, yelling, or probably more like it's a lightsaber, because yep. she's yelling, pew, pew! Which is amazing, and I also, you know, think of the, like, recording booth. Can you, can you have the pews a little closer together? Like, more of yeah. a pew, pew, and less of a pew? <laughs> <laughs> Let's get a couple of takes on those pews. Yep, yep, so. yep. And then Drunk Adora finally is un- reunited with the best friend squad. And she's like, like, hey, I know you. It's like, wow, dude, you're wicked drunk. Doesn't get any drunker than that. I feel like she's drunker this time than she was the last time, too. Well, it would make sense. Yeah. Because she went way, way berserker yeah, than she, she did. she went berserker and now she's got like the, the crash. The- yeah, the come down has got to be way bigger. Yeah, so. From that crazy PCP trip she went on. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> you know, of course, and we have Scar- Scorpio rushing to Catra to mm-hmm. shield her. And Catra's just like, I don't give a shit. I have to find Adora. Yep, as usual, taking Scorpio for granted. And, you know, Adora, Adora, Adora. So we've got Catra, Bow, and Glimmer fighting over the murder disc. Drunk Adora flops around with her mop, enjoying general merriment. <laughs> Giant Bugbot continues to wreak havoc. And then basically there's a lot of shenanery, but for there, my next note jumps straight ahead to Scorpia destroys the disc to save Catra. Yeah, and, and my next note here is that Scorpia and Adora see the the sword again and they go yeah. reach for it. And Scorpia is like, nope, you don't get that sword because if you do, then we're gonna deal with either Berserk Shira or in control, you know, Shira in control by Catra. Either way, Scorpia's like, nope, fuck that. Yeah. And then makes yeah. that not happen, you know? Yeah, yeah. Part, so. of the, part of the general havoc. Yep. So, and then we have more like Catra, like just being like, I'm not destroying the disc. I'm not giving up control of Adora. And it's like, oh my God, dude. Basically, the whole situation is falling to shit and Catra is not willing to admit, to cut to cut her losses, basically. Yeah, uh, to cut her losses, which means giving up Adora. Right. And so in the end, you know, Scorpia has to save Catra from herself. Yeah. And she does so with a little help from her new best friend, Seahawk. Yeah, it seems to me that caring about someone is the greatest adventure of them all. Yep. And you can see in Scorpia's face that, like, she really takes that in. Yeah. She's like, thanks, friend. I got you. And she she breaks the disc. 
And then the Bugbot's eyes turned from red to blue and they immediately sawed off back from whence they came. The t- Adora and Catra share a look, obviously trying to go gay wrestle somewhere, and then Scorpia just grabs Catra and like runs away. Yep, and Entrapta. And Entrapta, yeah. She grabs them yep. both and just like takes off. And they're like, fuck yep. this, we're leaving. Yep, yep. And it's like Catra finally notices. First, she's like, hey, put me down. Fuck you. But then she finally looks up at Scorpia and notices the look on her face. Yeah, it's like pure, like, it's love and determination to save. Yes, yeah. yes, and yes. Like, she, huh. she finally sees that, like, she can't fuck with Scorpia in this moment. Scorpia's yeah. in charge right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And Catra's like, huh. And you see it kind of go across her face. It's like, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, at least, hey, this person's on my side, right? Like, this person's on my side, but also, like, this person is in charge right now now i am not in charge and that's okay absolutely yeah and then seahawk cries with his giant anime eyes as he watches his new compatriot depart and he gives her the fisting salute yeah fisting salute you guys since we know since we know that fisting is his thing it's true it's true he does flag it yep and he's like you got this buddy and then we have our final scene on the horde ship oh this scene's really sweet so yes it is so you have catra doing kitty sneezes yep um and looking really pathetic and shivery and miserable because she's like what are you happy about she you know scorpia puts a blanket around her yeah yes yes important Mm -hmm. uh what are you happy about she were one we didn't get what we came for and you know once again she's like how are we gonna you know the mission was a failure how are we going to explain this to hordak is like she sounds really vulnerable yeah and terrified on that last line we saw what happened the last time like hordak thought that she screwed up he strangled her yeah and over here is entrapped and just humming away yeah failure this mission was a resounding success And and she rolls out this giant first one's pothole yeah. basically i'm like this is like a coin it's like a giant like yeah like novelty penny like it's yeah. in like the bat cave or some shit yeah. right yeah ta-da i got the first one's tech and catra's like what the actual fuck how long have you had that and of course we have like the interactive being like oh i've had it for a while but we were having so much fun <laughs> yeah because they were definitely having fun that's i mean listen that's entrapta's point of view if yeah, they're sure. all together Having any type of adventure, that yeah. equals fun. That's true. And, you know, Catra's all business. But I guess Catra yep. might have been having a tiny bit of fun wrestling with She-Ra. Oh, she so. was definitely having fun. Yeah. She was, I mean, she said a bunch of times, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. Right, exactly. Exactly. She was absolutely having fun. So, you know, she's like, this puppy will be able to power Hordak's portal technology, and then some! Hordak's gonna be thrilled! And then she rolls it off to the inside part of the ship, yeah. and then I have to ask, why don't Catra and Scorpia go to the inside part of the ship, since they're clearly freezing sitting out there in the cold, cold ocean air? Yeah, I don't... I don't know. But it wouldn't serve the scene if they did. No, it doesn't. So, that's that's the only Maybe answer. they needed to have a moment. Yes, yes. I feel like they just, they were like, needed to have a moment. and They did. Because Catra recognizes that. She's like, you know. So Catra's all wrapped up. Scorpia does not have a blanket. And Catra says, thanks for getting us out of there. Yes. Scorpia doesn't have a blanket because she gave her blanket to Catra. She gave it to Catra. And Catra is like, notices this and is like, okay, come on. And does that thing where you open up a blanket to snuggle with someone. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And it's really sweet. And Scorpia has literally never been happier. Yeah. And Yes! Yes! Thank you! And she just goes in for like the full snuggle. And it's like, oh, look head, at us. head down. Yeah, just like blissed out. Look at us. Just two peas in a pod. Yep. And we're so happy for her. But at the same time, it's such a low bar. Yeah. For, you know, what's what what's going to make her happy and feel like she got her part of her needs met by this yeah. person who gives her so little. Exactly. But my last note is all in good time, sweet Scorpia, all in good time. You'll get what you need, my little bug friend, or my big bug friend. Yes, yes. Oh, gosh, look at us. Just two peas in a pod. So when I brought it up before, I said board games, but I mean, it doesn't have to be board games. We can do anything. I mean, I'm open. I I, I like it. I'm bowling. It's very difficult for me. So that's the end of another wonderful, wonderful episode. So... Before we go to our what did we learn from this, Mm -hmm. I got a question. Okay. Who do you think won our bet? What was the bet? five doll hairs of, you know. Who's going to win in the end? Who's going to win in the end? And you said the horde and I said the rebellion. And I think, I think we came out even because I think everyone won in the end. Hmm. Well... They did because nobody died. <laughs> nobody died. The Horde definitely won because they got the tech that they came for. Yeah. Okay. What did the Rebellion win? They got the base back. Because remember, they came to get the base. No, they didn't. Oh, you're right. They They're, didn't. That was the last episode. Yeah. And Scorpio won because she got to snuggle with Catra. Yeah, I think you're right. Jenny, I owe you five doll hairs. Yay! So I have to find a doll, and then I will <laughs> cut five hairs from it, and then I will send it to you in the mail. I will expect five very creepy hairs of doll. Because, you know, <laughs> that's the kind of friend I am. I just send... Any day now, yes. I, I just send doll hairs in the mail. Hooray! 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 I look forward to that. Thank you, Meth. You're welcome. So, Jenny. So, Meth. What do we learn today? We learned a lot of good things. First, we learned that uh, you shouldn't be in a relationship with someone who makes you feel like shit. Yup. And doesn't prioritize spending time with you. Yup. We learned that if you're in a relationship like that, you have to communicate with your partner if you want it to change. I love this. We learned not to fuck around with murder viruses. That's definitely an important lesson to learn. And we also learned not to impinge on the natural world or otherwise angry spirits might get you. I feel like those are great lessons. Those are all really oh, solid lessons. Very useful real world lessons. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, folks, if you liked what you heard and you want to join us in berserker mode, you can like and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcast fix. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at HeyAdoraCast where you can email us all of your recommendations for how to get into berserker mode at heyadoracast at gmail.com. You can find the link for our Patreon to join, as well as the link to this week's ice-cold Spotify playlist whiteout in our show notes or at heyadora.gay. That's right. Heyadora.gay. Dot fucking gay. We're never going to let you forget it. And remember, queer joy is radical. And queer love saves the universe. Woo! Oh! Cold as ice! Ah. Brr!